Welcome to the Sunday podcast of Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati. Filling in for Pastor Brian is Associate Pastor Jim Swigert. Now thus far in the book of Leviticus, we've studied the various offerings and sacrifices which the children of Israel were to make to God. Well, today we learn of the laws God gave for how each of these offerings were to be administered by the priests. So you might be thinking, what would this passage of scriptures possibly say to us today? Well, stay tuned. The answer just may surprise you. Here's Pastor Jim with Leviticus chapters 6 and 7. Let's get into the Word, shall we? Let's open our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. And uh, Lord willing, this morning uh, we will do look at chapter 6 and chapter 7. And um, we'll continue looking at the offerings. Now, in the first five chapters of Leviticus, we are introduced to the different offerings. We have the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. And, you know, it truly is a blessing. I, I mean that. It's a blessing to be in the book of Leviticus because it is so relevant. And I, I pray that as we go through uh, the book of Leviticus on Sunday mornings, and as you read it on your own and study it on your own, I just want to encourage you to not have a, a, relig a religious, ritualistic mindset when we read it, because it, it's much more than just religion, right? Um, it's much more than just God in instituting the the priesthood and with these offerings and and um, it's very relevant for you and I today. Uh, very relevant in the you know fact that in Leviticus, with the offerings, as we know, all foreshadow the Messiah, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin, that we might have life in God. It's relevant that God shows us how he has provided the remedy for our sin and has provided us the way to fellowship with him and worship him. And so even in our worship service, as we call it a service, I like to call the church time assembly. We're an assembly of believers coming together with the purpose of worshiping God and being taught and instructed in his word. It's all worship. And so as we see the, the Jews come and, and to be introduced into these offerings, and it was worship. And for you and I, when we come together, it's, it's worship of God. And so it's all relevant to what we're learning in Leviticus. Again, all the offerings show how God has provided the remedy for our sin, giving us atonement. And through it, and I'm, Lord willing, I'll try and draw out the personal application in the offerings for each one of us as believers. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he mentioned that or likened us to believers as priests. We are priests. We're part of a priesthood as believers. And um, the Lord desires that we have that, that heart of joy and thanksgiving. And so why don't we just go to the Lord again as we get ready to get into Leviticus chapter 6. Father, we thank you again for this special time of being in your word, the blessed privilege, Lord, to gather together in freedom, Lord, 
to assemble to worship you and now to be in your word. Lord, you have a, a special truth for each one of us today. And we pray for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher? Would you guide us through these scriptures, Lord, making application for each one of us, Lord, that we would indeed draw closer to you, that we would acknowledge you even more of who you are and the wonderful work that you've done for us at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's read the first seven verses together in chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or about a robbery or if he has extorted from his neighbor or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one fifth, excuse me, one fifth more to it and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. So these first seven verses connect with the trespass offering that we read about in Leviticus chapter 5. In Leviticus chapter 5, the trespass offering is described as unintentional sin against the Lord. And now as here we come to chapter 6, we have emphasis here on sin against his neighbor. Now all sin as against the Lord. But sin against the neighbor, as it, what is described here, um, you know, uh, stealing and, um, you know, extorting, this would have to include, along with the offering, a, a, a restitution of, as we see there, one-fifth or 20%. And so, Again, the emphasis here on restitution to the neighbor, it's to make things right on a human level. Uh, those who were guilty, those who were guilty of stealing, um, would have to make this restitution to the one in whom they've stolen from. And we get a spiritual picture of this in our own relationship with God and relationship with our brother and sister in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, which says, Therefore... If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so there's a spiritual picture here. When, when, when you have something against your brother or you know that your brother has something against you, that's conflict. That's a hindrance for us to openly, freely, truly worship God. 
And so God desires for that conflict to be removed. And so for us to properly worship, properly give to the Lord, openly, freely, that sin needs to be dealt with. And that's the picture that we get here um, with, uh, with this offering. We also see um, in Luke chapter 19 with Zacchaeus, we see a picture of this. Then, Zacche- then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of, a- excuse me, of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so there we see this restitution being made by Zacchaeus, and he gave fourfold. He gave even above that 20%. So there we have the rest of the trespass offering. And now we come into another section, if you will, in Leviticus, beginning at verse 8. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on the other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So here we have the law of the burnt offering. And remember, the burnt offering, as Moses gave to the people, we read that in chapter 1 of Leviticus. The burnt offering was to be totally consumed. The whole animal would be sacrificed with the exception of the blood. And here in chapter 6, then, we see... The command from, you know, the Lord speaking to Moses, to the people, that uh, this law of the burnt offering, which is now God is describing how the offerings would be administered by the priest. And when we get to chapter 8, we'll see the priesthood anointed and start seeing, uh, you know, this all played out with the offerings. But here, this is the instructions of how it would be administered. So... Just a couple things then about the burnt offering. Remember, it is to be continuous on the altar, always burning. And again, to, for our own personal application, remember that we are priests, as Peter wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter. And so we are, as priests, and um, we are to continually lay ourselves on the altar continually being lit for the Lord. And we see this application in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So for you and I, it's putting ourselves continuously on the altar, having our lives be a living sacrifice for the Lord and to be a sweet aroma to him. And that's what you and I can look in the mirror every morning, can't we? Am I being a sweet aroma to the Lord? Total consecration of ourselves. Now, Jesus did that for us at the cross. We are at one with him. But in our daily walk with him, we can ask ourselves the question, am I being a living sacrifice in that? Is my life a sweet aroma to the Lord? Another interesting little nugget here is it mentions uh, the linen garment. The priest shall put on the linen garment and his linen trousers. It's interesting in Ezekiel chapter 44, God instructing the Israelites on the garments to be used for the priest. There would be no wool. Now, I don't know about you, especially in the summertime. I think of wool, I start itching. You know, so if you could imagine the priest administering and doing what God has commanded here, um, no wool. And it specifically says linen here. And there's a reason for that in that wool is going to make somebody sweat, right? Linen, not so much or not at all. And so it symbolizes that there is to be no sweating or no, no self-effort or working of the flesh to please God. Remember, God never accepts a work of the flesh to please him. That's why we see these offerings. God's providing that remedy for man to have fellowship with him. We are to walk in the Spirit. As Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5, even though we're saved, we still have this battle, right, between the flesh and the Spirit. And the more that we feed the Spirit, the more the Spirit reigns in our hearts and the more sweet aroma we give to the Lord. And the Bible tells us we need to deny the flesh. And when we think about Jesus, obviously we know that at the cross, he was that continual burnt offering. But even when you look at his life, his ministry here on earth, he oftentimes said that he didn't do anything. He didn't initiate anything without the Father leading him. And he totally laid himself down, emptied himself as that burnt offering for us, even in his, his daily walk. And so uh, Jesus is a great example for us in our application of the burnt offering as we lay ourselves on the altar to be a living sacrifice that we might be a sweet aroma. And we can't rely anything of the flesh to please the Lord. And so we're to walk in the Spirit. And then going on to verse 14 in the grain offering. This is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. And the remainder of it Aaron and his son shall eat. With unleavened bread it shall be eaten in a holy place in the court of the tabernacle of meeting 
they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the trespass offering. So again, here we have the ceremony of the grain offering. And again, we read of the grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2. The grain offering is recognizing God's goodness, His provision, and our devotion to God. And again, a lot of things are just repeat of what we read in chapter 2 um, concerning the grain offering. But notice here, um, it says, um, those who are clean, meaning only those who are holy could eat of the, uh, the grain offering here. So, when we look at this, as the priest would be set apart, application for you and I, that to receive the abundant blessing of God with His presence in our life, we should be holy. We should be set apart in our personal, a practical holiness. We are holy by the blood of Jesus. We are set apart. We are sanctified by the Lord. But then in our own practical holiness, we need to be sanctified, walking in that sanctification that we might receive the abundance of Christ, His, His presence in our life. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. We are ambassadors of Christ. And with the Holy Spirit, we are to bear witness of Him. Therefore, we must be holy. We can't expect God to bless us with his presence if we're not living a life of holiness. If I'm living a life in sin and trying to play both ways, in the world and with God, I can't possibly expect the blessings of God that he wants to pour out. We can't expect that beautiful fellowship that he desires. And so he calls us to be holy. He calls the priest here to to be clean, to be holy, so they could partake of the offering, the grain offering, and the ceremony. So verse 19 then says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is anointed one-tenth of an ephah, a fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed, you shall bring it in. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among the sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it. It is a statue forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. So here we have the grain offering associated with the anointing ceremony for the priest. It was not to be eaten, but wholly burned, and uh, it was to be offered in the morning and the evening. And again, this represents worship, especially for us that, you know, for the priests, they serve God day and night, and as priests, you and I serve God day and night, all the time. And so, a good nugget of, or personal application for you and I, how important it is to have that devotional life. What is a devotional life? Well, let me tell you what it actually isn't. You know, if my, if my relationship with God is 
reduced, if you will, to just coming to church on Sundays, maybe even attending Wednesday night Bible study, or getting involved in the church somehow, but I lack a devotional life, I'm not going to experience this fellowship that God desired for the priest and that he desires for you and I. I'm so, uh, you know, so much of sharing with especially brothers in the Lord to encourage a devotional life, of having that devoted time in the Word, whether it's morning, whether it's in the afternoon or evening, to spend five minutes in the Word. There's no set time, but just five minutes in the Word of God and praying to the Lord and having your own little praise and worship time with the Lord. You know, you can do that. You don't have to wait to come to church to have praise and worship. You can do it part of your devotional life to Him. And I'm encouraged, especially in the days that we're living in. I had a brother share with me a couple weeks ago, and it really stuck with me. We better be in the Psalms. We better be in the Psalms. Why? Because that's where we find comfort. David, in the midst of Saul hunting him down and all the trials that he was going through, he had a devotional life with God, and it's God who got him through those rough days. It's the same for you and I. We can't rely on anything other than the Lord to bring perseverance, to bring endurance, and to do so with great joy, expecting God to bless, even in the midst of the chaos that we see in the world that we see today. Ultimately, our lives is an act of worship to God. Always acknowledging Him in every moment Again, it's so easy. I don't even have to ask anybody here, are you busy? Right? Who's not busy? We're all busy. You know, God created the day to have 24 hours, and he did it for a reason. If he created the day for 48 hours, we would find a way to fill it up, and it would just be like 24 hours. It's just the, it's the way it is. No condemnation. It's just the way it is. We're busy. We have jobs. We have families. We have kids and grandkids. We have all these things that want a piece of our heart and a piece of our time. And it's so easy to become, even in serving the Lord, we do all things for God. If we don't have that devotional time, we lack. And we lack that experiencing God fully that He desires. So then on to the sin offering in verse 24. Also the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, this is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken, and if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scarred and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. So the law of the sin offering 
And the sin offering, we can go back to Leviticus chapter 4. And here we reminded or shown, anything touched by the meat of the sin offering or blood had to be made holy or to be cleansed in a special manner because the animal's meat was thought to be infected with sin. And so, uh, infected from the sin who brought the offering. And it reminds us that sin has the ability to soak through. Sin has the ability to soak through from the influence of the world, right? We so every one of us are influenced in some way, some fashion. We believe because we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, we believe in the Bible because we have been influenced by the Lord himself. And those that are in the world, they are influenced by the world. Now you and I, even though we're washed by the blood of Jesus, we still walk in this world. And we can get influenced by this, by this world. And so it's so necessary to be in the Word of God and to have those devotion times uh, uh, with the Lord. But interesting here also, it points out, and if it is boiled in a bronze pot, interesting, in this metal, tempered by fire, remember bronze speaks of judgment. For you and I, our sin has been judged at the cross. Amen? Our sin has been dealt with at the cross. And in all of these offerings, it shows us what Jesus has done. But even, even knowing and experiencing and, and walking in the wonderful grace of God, we still allow the Spirit of God to examine us, to cleanse us. And so in all of this, the, the priests, they had to be very careful as to the meat and to be holy, to keep the meat holy, and to adhere to all of God's commandments. So we begin in verse 7 then, or excuse me, chapter 7. The law of the trespass offering. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it, and the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest's who offers it, and every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. So it would be distributed equally. So again, this is the law of the trespass offering that we just you know, completed looking at the trespass offering in chapter 6. 
One little nugget here is it says in verse 8, as it previously did in the trespass offering, and the priest who offered anyone burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin. This is interesting, and I read some commentaries that point to the skin, and when you think of skin, perhaps you might think of Adam and Eve, remember in the garden, when they sinned, remember what they tried to do to get rid of the guilt, the shame of their sin? They tried to put on fig leaves, which didn't work, right, for them. It's God who came in and provided them animal skins that point to a sacrifice. And here the priests were getting the skin. It was offered to God, and then God would give them the skin uh, just, you know, to bless them. And all that God was doing with the offerings, as they were offered to God, and then he would bless the priest, as we'll continue to see in the, in the peace offering. Which brings us to verse 11 and the peace offering. Now, hopefully you've noticed something here. In Leviticus chapter 1 through 5, we have the different offerings. In chapter 1, we have the burnt offering. Chapter 2 is the grain offering. Chapter 3 is the peace offering. Chapter 4 is the sin offering. Chapter 5 and part of chapter 6 is the trespass offering. And as we go in then to the law of the offerings, the order is changed. And I like that because my favorite is the peace offering, right? Who wouldn't want to go to a barbecue with God? That's basically what God is showing here. He wanted fellowship with the people just as he desires the fellowship with you and I. And so much emphasis is given on the peace offering. So let's read verses 11 through 21 together. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil, besides the cakes, as his offering he shall offer, leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering, the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day as it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten, and all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire, and as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, 
such as a human uncleanliness and an unclean animal or an abomination, un abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering, that belongs to the Lord. That person shall be cut off from his people. There is so much here with the peace offering. Um, you know, perhaps, at least in my thinking anyway, Perhaps why God has this in his word, the peace offering here in chapter 7 as the last offering to look at the, the order or the, the law, the administration of this offering is because of the great significance in the peace of Jesus Christ and what he brings to us. Amen. Again, all the offerings and sacrifice, sacrifices point to Jesus. We are justified and Jesus is our peace. Now, in verse 12, we see one of three different peace offerings. In verse 12, we see thanksgiving. In verse 16, we see the vow or voluntary offering. We think of thanksgiving. You know, certainly God, because of the peace that he gives to us, that in itself brings thanksgiving. And as we walk with the Lord, as we live our lives to him, experiencing his wonderful grace, we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? Even the days that, um, you know, that are burdened to many, burdened to all of us that we're living in, we can be thankful to the Lord. Thankful for our salvation. Thankful for His presence in our life. Thankful that He gives us another day to live for Him. But also, did you notice in verse 13 that it says, besides the cakes... As his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. Now, didn't that sound a little bit weird to you? It says leavened bread. Now, we know what leavened means, right? Sin. Reflection of sin. Symbolizing sin. And back in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11, it said, we're told that no offering was to, made, was to be made with leavened bread. But here in the law of the peace offering, it's clearly stated that leavened bread was to be part of the peace offering, which leads us to ask, leads us to ask why, right? Well, the reason being is, or the difference, the peace offering ceremony didn't have the peace offering going to the altar. Going to the altar, there could be no leaven. But here as they brought, you know, as it says here, the, the worshiper or the one bringing the offering, the peace offering, would bring it to the priest. The priest would offer it to the Lord, and then they would have sweet fellowship with God. So if we could picture the priest having cakes of leavened bread and unleavened bread, doing the, the heave offering, which is uplifting to the Lord, they would be lifting the bread up to the Lord, and they would enjoy the sweet fellowship uh, with God. And the priest would be, you know, waving it in a vertical uh, way, lifting it up to the Lord. And, of course, that points to the communion between God and man. Um, we have communion through God or with God through Jesus. I like what Paul talked about in Colossians, the way he put it in Colossians 1. We have peace with the Lord because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But he recognized and wanted the Colossians to know, and we should know, 
that before we came to Christ, we were evil and hostile toward him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was a moment when we came a confession, God, I'm a sinner, I need you. And we confess Jesus Christ as being the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world, and our sin then was removed, opening up that sweet fellowship that God desires with us. But again, all these offerings and sacrifices point to what Jesus did for us and who Jesus is for us. And we can have peace with God only through Jesus. But even after we come to the Lord and receive that salvation, having our sin removed, remember in the Old Testament, the atonement for sin was only a covering, foreshadowing Jesus the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus came to die on the cross, he took away the sin, opening again that open, that beautiful connection with God. There's no hindrance. We have peace with God. And it's the same way after we begin to walk with God. We can have the peace and salvation, right, in a sense, but there's also that practical peace. And I have to be walking with God. There can't be any leaven, but yet this, the truth is I am a sinner. I'm a saved sinner. You're a saved sinner, but we're sinners nevertheless. But glory be to God, our sin has been judged at the cross. And when I do sin, I can come to my Father in Jesus' name, confess, knowing that he is faithful and able to forgive me my sins, and I can ask him to cleanse me of all sin. That's our wonderful advocate. That's, who, that's our Savior. And that's the love that the Father has for us. So the peace offering is all about this relationship and fellowship with God, having our sins forgiven. In fact, it says in verse 19, all who are clean. Again, it's so important for us to have a clean conscience. Having that conflict removed that I can truly worship God. Not that we're perfect, we're not. That's the symbol of the leavened bread, a part of the ceremony of this peace offering. We're not perfect. But Jesus died for us, and he desires to have that relationship with us. And when I walk in that holiness, when the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin, I can go to him and be cleansed that conflict remove, and have that fellowship with God restored. Moving on then to verse 22. I love Leviticus. It's straightforward, isn't it? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat, and the fat of an animal that dies naturally, and the fat of what is torn by wild beasts, may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether a bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. So again, this reminds us, as Pastor Brian has shared through uh, the first five chapters of Leviticus, when it comes to the fat, the fat was reserved for the Lord. 
the goodness, the savory of the fat was reserved for the Lord. And of course, in the weeks to come, we will be focusing on the blood, the importance of the blood. It's the life. And that too is of the Lord. He is the one who gives us life. And uh, again, we will see this uh, much more in depth in the weeks to come. Verse 28 then, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord, and the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the priest shall be Aaron's and his sons, or excuse me, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his sons. Also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. So here we have the right thigh, the portion of meat given to the priest who would carry out the sacrifice. And again, they would have the heave offering lifting up to the Lord and then the wave offering with um, the sacrifice, the, the, uh, the breast going back and forth um, as part of the worship there. And you know the wave offerings, a dedication offering to the Lord. Again, all of these ways God prescribed specifically. And that's important for you and I. Our worship of God is intentional, but it's got to be God's ways, right? We see in the Old Testament over and over and over again, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, wanting to go worship on the high place, worship pagan gods, and at the same time, try to worship Jehovah God. And that doesn't work. We pray for revival. As we pray for revival, we must be included in our prayers, revival God's way. Because there is no other way to bring revival to our nation, to the world, except for God's way. And that is through Jesus Christ. So as, as the Lord uh, blessed the priest, as people would bring their food in to the priest, again, they would, uh, the priest would offer it to the Lord, and then it would go back to the people, and they would have their fellowship uh, barbecue. And all of these, this meat, you know, they had to make sure was holy and everything done in God's prescribed way. And, um, you know, God was taking care of the priest. He was blessing them. And remember, uh, the priests, they were not allotted any of the land. Remember, uh, God told the Levites, your allotment, your inheritance is me. And so this is part of that blessing um, uh, to receive these offerings, part, uh, if you will, part of their pay. Um, now, so in the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we've seen the offerings, and the law of the different offerings. In closing, I just want to point us once again to all these offerings pointing to Jesus Christ. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, this is Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. It reminds us what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. We do not have to offer animal sacrifice 
to appease our God. He provided the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And remember in John 17, in the high priest's prayer of Jesus, as he's praying to the Father, he's, he's ready to go back to glory. He's, I have accomplished the work in which you've sent me to do. He's ready because he's come to do his purpose, his mission, and now we know he's at the right hand of the Father. He sat down. The work was finished. But let's look at these offerings. The burnt offering. Jesus fulfilled the burnt offering. Ephesians 5.2. That might be one I didn't have on there. Uh, it is. Don't, don't look back at the sound guy. He, he, he's okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have it in there. So Ephesians 5.2, which has been referenced to a couple of times in our study of Leviticus already, again, all pointing to Jesus. Pages always stick, right? In the middle of teaching the Bible. Okay, so Ephesians 5 2, it says, And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us, given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Jesus is the fulfillment of the burnt offering, and then the grain offering. John chapter 6, verse 51. Jesus said this, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. He offered himself that we might have life. He's the fulfillment of the grain offering. How about the peace offering? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's no other way to have peace with God other than through Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. We are he is just, and he has justified us through the bloodshed of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of peace, of the peace offering. The sin offering, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, fully righteous. And he is the fulfillment of the sin offering. And because of his righteousness, you and I are made righteous. We are in right standing with God. And then finally, the trespass offering, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, speaking of Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every one of these offerings. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And so as we continue on in Leviticus, I pray, not ritualistic religion, but a God who loves us and has prescribed the way that man 
will have fellowship with him. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, that we trust that you bring continued application of these offerings, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would draw us even more nearer to you as we continue in our study of Leviticus, Lord. But I pray, Lord, as we've gone through chapter 6 and 7, when we read of living sacrifice, a sweet-selling aroma, and enjoying the, the fellowship with you, Lord, through the peace made by Jesus Christ. I just pray you would have your Holy Spirit engage our hearts, not only reminding us, Lord, of who we are in Christ and what you've done for us through your love, but also, Lord, that you would challenge us, Lord, that we would continually devote ourselves to you, to have hearts of thanksgiving, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength and that we would acknowledge you in all things, putting you in the proper place, Lord. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. As we come for one last song, Lord, to worship you, would our hearts be bowed down before you, Lord, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this sermon or about following Christ, you can contact us at cccincinnati.org. And please join us next time for Leviticus chapter 8. <laughs>